Hello, and welcome back to the Previously On podcast. We're continuing with our third season by taking an in-depth look at Avatar The Last Airbender, and more specifically, the third and final book of that series, Fire. My name's Brandon Berger. I'm Evan Muse. And I'm Maxwell Anderson. And together, we're our own sort of Team Avatar. We're very excited to keep our conversations going as we navigate our way through the third book of this series. For our 28th episode of the podcast, we'll be taking a look at chapters 16 and 17 of book three. Previously on Avatar. Here's some more information about book three, chapter 16, The Southern Raiders. It's the 16th episode of the third season and is the 56th official episode of the show. It was written by Elizabeth Welch and was directed by Joaquim Dos Santos. The Southern Raiders originally aired on July 17th, 2008. Here's a short synopsis of chapter 16. <laughs> Katara sets out to confront the Fire Nation soldier who killed her mother. But what will she do when she finds him? Uh, thank you. I can do that normal. Max just gave me a note. <laughs> I was sort of hoping for the Cora announcer, oh. but you did an amazing like oh, Spider-Man. Oh, I should have done that. Oh, I uh, like that. Like a J. Jonah Jameson type. Here's a short synopsis of chapter 16. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Katara sets out to confront the Fire Nation soldier who killed her mother. But what will she do when she finds him? Yes. <laughs> Find out on this movie picture show. It's going to be a bloodbath. Okay, for real, all of the synopses for The Legend of Korra have to be read that way. Oh, like, yes. That, we are, oh, we are yes. setting ourselves up for that. We're setting ourselves up for that, so be ready. I'm into that. All right. Here's some more information about Book 3, Chapter 17, The Ember Island Players. It's the 17th episode of the third season and is the 57th official episode of the show. This episode credits a larger team as its writer. The team includes Tim Hedrick, Joshua Hamilton, and John O'Brien. It was directed by Giancarlo Volpe. The Ember Island Players originally aired on July 18th, 2008. Here's a short synopsis of Chapter 17. The gang sees a play about themselves and about all their past adventures, but they're not really happy about the production. But would you say but would you say that there was hope? Was there lots of hope? There's so much hope. It's making me tear bend. So, what were your thoughts on these two episodes? We have to just jump right in with that first battle, like that first fight scene. Yeah, because they just jump into it. It's crazy. They don't leave any like pause, right? At all. It's all of a sudden they wake up and then Azula is attacking them, which Thinking about where they're coming from, because they're coming back from the Boiling Rock, right? Of course Azula's going to follow them. Like, Oh, yeah. I'm surprised that they, they, that they stayed at the Western Air Temple for as long as they seem to do in between the Boiling Rock and now. Again, I don't know how much time has passed officially, but you'd think that the first thing they would do, because they've stolen an airship and they've pissed off Azula would be to get out of Dodge and at least get to a better spot where they're going to maybe rendezvous with the rest of, of their crew as they prep to go fight the Fire Lord, right? That's Because that's where we're at. Yeah. I mean, Zuko and Sokka's plan was so well thought out leading up to that point. Like, yeah, there's no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't. I This was the first time I was watching it and knowing that it was coming and enjoying the very first moments where they're trying to lull you into this false sense of security where it's yep. beautiful music the birds are chirping ang does this like big yawn and and then a bomb comes straight for his face totally and if he wouldn't have woken up at that moment they would have died right right <laughs> right. <laughs> right yeah and there, there are moments like this that i that I forget about, like you forget that there's even that moment of peace right before they get attacked. Right. So I was just as surprised as anybody to be like, holy mackerel. They are now just being all out assaulted. And it's not just Azula that's there. Right. I think there were like four or five different, uh, uh, air Navy or air patrol ships. It's not air Navy. I understand that Navy is water, 
Oh, that was a dumb statement by me, but I'm going to retract it right away. The Air Nation actually didn't have a formal Navy. <laughs> These are the facts. But the fact that they had all those air warships, right? Yeah. Oh, gosh, mm-hmm. they're not even ships. What? I'm going to stop talking. I'm the done. Blimps. I'm checking out for this, for this episode. <laughs> well, you better not check out because Max noticed you and I had like the exact same point about Azula becoming more unhinged at this point. Word for word. And, and Max and I <laughs> talked about this before we started tonight that, okay, uh, character flaw. I'm, I don't do the best about like going ahead and reading your guys' notes because I want to just make sure that I get through my notes and <laughs> there talk wouldn't like be, there wouldn't be notes to refer to. Right. Because we'd all have the same points. And yeah. this again, it is just another great moment. And this is not the first time that this has happened, but yeah, Evan and I both said Azula's opening line is proof that she's becoming more and more unhinged when she says I'm about to become an only child. And the <laughs> way she says it and her just, her physical demeanor and confidence, like she is, she's ready to take Zuko yeah. out because she's just, she's over everything right now. It's very super villain. Totally. I am about to celebrate becoming an only child. And to expand on that, we get to see sort of the dichotomy between Zuko and Azula in this one because Azula is gung ho about killing Zuko and it's pleased, like is happy and smiling when Zuko is falling to his death. And then is super discouraged when he lives versus when Azula then falls, presumably to her death. Zuko is like, I can't believe it. Like, oh, my God, she's going to die. Right. And then she lives and he's like, "Okay, of course she doesn't. Right. Of course she's okay." But it shows their difference. Right. Even though Azula just tried to kill Zuko, he's still not just like, yeah, let's, you know hope she dies he's still <laughs> sort of you know hesitant about that and i feel like that's a change that is again recent with his his kind of switch right i think you know midway through book two zuko would probably feel not as strongly about azula being in that type of a danger mm-hmm. because at that point he's again fully banished on his own and even like beginning of book three zuko where it's post uh, Crossroads of Destiny time, you know, he knows that Azula did what she did in the caves below Bossing Say. You know, he would probably feel a little bit of relief there in knowing that he could return to his normal life without mm-hmm. the weight of Azula knowing what truly happened. <laughs> yeah. But here it's like, you know, he he has compassion and it it's becoming a limitless compassion, which is very refreshing to see we're kind of seeing the conclusion of his character arc. Um, and it's just, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. Wow. In the moment when Azula is falling and, and kind of jetpacks over to the side of the cliff. One thing I noticed this time that I didn't notice before was that when she um, kind of attached or latched on to the cliff, she used her hair pin, which was made of metal to like, grapple into the side of the cliff. I didn't notice that detail before and thought it was so cool. Like I so cool. Got, I didn't know that until you just pointed that out. I, I have know. To go. I, I noticed her hair is down, but I just thought it was like a, a cool bad look or something. That's yeah. brilliant. I, yeah, and that's so cool. The split sec I thought that I just thought that too. I'm like, oh, okay, her hair's down now. It's for dramatic effect. But right. if you look at her right hand, she's grasping what I'm assuming is her kind of like the royal hair whatever things that put them Mm -hmm. in the ponies or whatever and it's stuck in the side of the the cliff i thought that was super cool wow okay so a few other things about this fight um first of all zuko and azula seem to be pretty evenly matched in this fight that is a huge change from anything that we've seen before yeah and i think it takes azula by surprise because there's a few frames i think where she's like uh what like he's he's like blocking my moves and matching it. Um, And I think it kind of leads to that final fist on fist, like explosion punch that they do where she's, she's like cocky about it. She, she has this giant smirk on her face. Like I'm going to best him. And he is like, no nonsense. I know what you're about to do and I'm okay with it. Um, I don't know. I, I love that they show this without explicitly telling us that like Zuko has been making progress or that the dragons have made huge impact totally. on his bending. Oh yeah. I'm sure that's a big part. 
I think that's the biggest thing too has been the impact of the dragons, right? Mm -hmm. And you can see in Zuko's movements and in his bending, it's a lot more fluid. It's a lot more dance-like for lack of a better term. No grunting. Oh my God. Yeah. And no grunting. He's all, yeah, he's all just about form and channeling that kind of primal energy of the dragons to just have this, you know, well choreographed dance again, for lack of a better, it's not better a word, dance. even in his defense. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's an ancient move. What's it called? A dancing dragon. Dancing dragon. <laughs> yeah, you hold your heads down in shame, you two. But even in his, even in his like defense and deflection of her firebending, which I think Azula doesn't realize that Zuko has that type of a defense as a strategy, right? Because mm -hmm. for both of them, it's been about raw power and then just dodging. It's not been about deflecting or absorbing the fire that, as it's coming through. It's been about getting out of the way because it's just too powerful for you. Zuko really shows that he can defend himself, I think, in, in this moment here, in this battle. Speaking of defending oneself in battle, I love that the air temple had a built-in yeah. blasting shield ready. So cool. So cool. Speaks to that that air airbender mm. style, you know, defense. And I guess, like... They would have needed to have an earthbender too. Otherwise they just await their death. <laughs> but like back in the day, if like fire, if they had the, the shields ready to go and they can like, also, why didn't they use that for combustion man? <laughs> but anyway, um, but if they have that shield ready to go, maybe it was a different place in the temple. Where do they go from there? Do they just outweigh? Like, do they wait them out or? Well, and that begs the question, is it meant to be a defense mechanism mm. or is it meant to be like a security as in just making sure that if we've got kids here in this place we can seal oh. it off overnight so they don't wander off the edge yeah. Oh. yeah if anyone sleepwalks here they're screwed <laughs> they're dead <laughs> right it's it could not be something a great like place that for parasomnias yeah i i don't know and it it may be something where max like you alluded to at different parts of the temple when you close off kind of your main stay or your main place, it may give you access to other portions via the stairwells or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, it, and it may just be that they were in the one spot that didn't have access to those other places. Maybe it was a late addition after the other temples had fallen. Ooh, That's also a very great point. Because like that. in my view, the Western Air Temple is probably the most disguised. Yeah because of its like location underneath the land and not really not even looking remotely close to what you'd think of when you would think of an air temple, especially when we're first introduced to the Southern air temple, you know, I could definitely see that happening. Um, that's a great point, Evan. And probably the hardest to invade before they had airships and stuff too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because you see, the only way Zuko got down was like literally climbing a rope, and you can't have right. you know a bunch of people. I mean, I guess you could, but it would take a while. Yeah, and what are Airbenders gonna do? They're gonna <laughs> yeah, they're just gonna blow them off. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You you would think that you know, uh, I guess because I don't know if they even had the airship technology back when they first oh, no, no, did no, no, the no, air no, no. the Air Nomad genocide. So how would they have attacked the Western Air Temple? Um, very carefully. Well, or, and you know, you know, they had the, they had the metal tanks and I don't know mm -hmm. if they had those back then, but they had the grapple hooks on the metal tanks. Could they have grappled somewhere, swung down and released and then just, I don't know. I'm stretching, I think a little no. bit, but this is why we need Avatar Studios to pick up that Sozin's Comet a hundred years ago, because totally, I would love to see the coordinated attack. I wouldn't love to see it. That sounds really grotesque, <laughs> but, but I, well, I'm Max is a sadist. <laughs> How they explain it. Um, because, I mean, I guess with the raw power that this, the the comic gives you, maybe they just jetpack down there, right? Oh, maybe yeah. that's a good point, too. An elite point force too. just jetpack down there. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's wild to think that 100 years prior to having all this technology, they are able to conquer these temples. And it's also possible that, like, the Western Air Temple could be one of the least populated of them right mm -hmm. you know it could be a fluky thing like that where just not many people exist at the western air temple i don't know i think yeah. there are a ton of ton of factors that could have played in so 
I guess I didn't realize that the Western Air Temple was primarily for the female monks. Oh, right. That, a lot of the statues are women, right? Yeah. Yeah. In, in, in Interesting. The wiki, in the wiki, it says that. They're like nuns, technically, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something yeah. like that. But yeah, just makes me sadder when I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, I think that's where um, Avatar. Yang Chen? Yeah, Yang Chen mm-hmm. was from. Who we get to meet very soon in uh, Sozin's Ooh. Combat series. Yeah. Okay, we are way behind, but this is just such a, <laughs> such a <laughs> meaty opening. It's such a no, meaty absolutely. opening. Yeah. The only other thing I had to say about this opening, <laughs> which I'm still talking about, is how do you think they decided who splits up with who <laughs> during the like, you go in the tunnel, we go out this way. Draw straws. I don't know. <laughs> Whoever has the shortest one has to take on Azula. <laughs> because I, I, it all happens so fast that I've never really thought about it before, but then... Again, Haru does nothing and is like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think they even saw him throw a single rock. It's like, they're like, okay, it's not going to be forever. We'll see you again, dad. And he goes in. I'm sure he helped with the tunnel. Come on. Right, right. Of course. And th- But then a split second later after saying goodbye to dad and Sokka hugs dad, lets go of dad and then grabs Suki and runs away with her. Like, <laughs> it's not discussed. It's just like, and I'm taking her with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I will say in a moment like that, you would probably want the best team. And even yeah. though to- I think Toph goes with with the the uh, others through the cave. Nope. She doesn't? No. Because she holds, I think she holds the rock over Appa. Because we never see the oh. others again until the finale. We, You're all right. the people that go into the cave are gone until the end. You're right. Because they, they have Haru who can bend a tunnel. <laughs> I assume. Knew he was good for something. That's the only earthbender they sent him with. Yeah. Interesting. Great point. I would bet Sokka and Hakoda, I could even see them like running exit drills, right? Like if someone shows up, this is what we do. This is the team. Yeah. Just grab the stinky bombs (laughs) and throw them at each other so that we stink. And then our (laughs) enemies will be... It's primarily stink. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Stink based. Uh, this anyway. is our stinky escape. <laughs> okay. We have to get to the meat of this episode, oh, yeah. which is so dark. So, so dark. But it's veiled behind this awesome field trip, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. that's the whole bit. Yeah. Is Now it's Katara's turn to finally take her Zuko field trip, which I love that the Zuko field trips bit exists and that it's a thing and that, you know, his trial by fire of being a part of the of the gang is that he has to go on a bunch of one-on-one adventures and help change these people's lives to like prove himself worthy. I just think that is so funny. And now we're here with Katara, who in my view is a little um um tense towards Zuko from the get-go, even though we had thought she had lost a little bit of that animus, but it is definitely back. Um, not saying that her animus isn't warranted because Zuko was, you know, kind of a dick to her <laughs> in a, in a previous moment in the show. But to me, a little bit of that animus kind of comes out of nowhere again. Like we feel like we've got over that hump before this moment. And then now all of a sudden she's just really angry again. And I don't, I don't get it. Maybe Azula's kind of a reminder of what she doesn't like about Zuko. Maybe she feels like Azula followed them because Zuko was a part of that. Sure. I also like, and I hadn't thought about this until you just brought it up, but who did she just have to say goodbye to? Her dad. Her dad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. Dang it. (laughs) Maxwell, with your good Mm. points. Gosh. There's a great moment after... Katara like yells at Zuko and storms off when he gets up to go talk to her Katara kind of you can tell she hears there's someone behind her and she kind of smiles like I think she's excited that someone's coming to like talk to her and maybe comfort her but then she sees it's Zuko and her face just gets so angry oh Oh, it's brutal who do you think she was hoping it was I think 
maybe Aang, maybe it was like, ooh. <laughs> I bet she was I bet she was truly hoping that it was Haru, but then she realized Haru had been left behind. <laughs> yeah. And she's just gotta settle for her sloppy seconds in Zuko. <laughs> I I actually hadn't really noticed that that like couple of frames that you pointed out. Um, but that makes me really sad that she didn't get that, right? Yeah. That she's always the support and what she truly wanted in that moment was probably somebody to be the shoulder for her. And once again, yeah. <laughs> and there's a shoulder, but guess who? <laughs> so actually that brings up a good point that maybe we can talk about later in this episode too, but I feel like they really missed out on some key Aang Katara moments in this where they could have developed that, like not romantic relationship, but emotional relationship that he's there for her. Um, and instead, yeah, he's not the one to check on her. When she does say what she's struggling with, he kind of goes into this wisdom spiel about forgiveness and moving on. And that's just like not what she needs to hear in that moment. Mm-hmm. So totally. totally. I don't know. What yeah, what are your what are your thoughts on it? Well, I also even think it could have been something that they gave to Toph too. Like because Toph and Katara have had similar moments of connection, right? I think all the way back to um, um, I may even been the have been the tales of Bossing Say, um, where they go on their uh, like little spa day, or I don't remember, but it was when they go on the spa day around the time of the tales of Bossing Say. I think, um, you know, it could have been relegated to Toph. I agree with you that uh, if it would have been Ang, I think you could have treated Ang's. Um, um, reaction to to Katara's wish of going and finding this person differently. Like it could have been less aggressive, judgmental, um, and more like of that one-on-one conversation of compassion and understanding, which I think Aang already does so well. Like that's the thing that is a little jarring about Aang in this episode is that, oh yeah, he, He's he's the avatar, so he's got to kind of do these large, grand wisdom spiels, but it doesn't necessarily fit as well as it could have in this episode because this is almost like the first of its kind, mm-hmm. where now he's counseling his friends as the avatar. Mm-hmm. We've seen him counsel others, and all of that plays decently well, but now when you're counseling your friends, especially somebody who you have romantic interest in... <laughs> As a person who's married with a child, you know, <laughs> you got to treat those things differently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Aang doesn't, Aang doesn't quite get that. Right. Which, again, he's 13 years old probably at this time and shouldn't understand that or shouldn't have to. But, you know, you just got to treat those things differently, <laughs> dude. <laughs> Here's why I do like it. I think Aang is, in a way, the person who can relate to Katara the most yeah, about this. Yeah. Like. That's true. He's lost a lot at the hands of the Fire Nation. And I think Mm -hmm. while it's understandable what Katara is going through, Aang has been through something similar and something like revenge is a huge affront to his beliefs. And I Mm -hmm. think he doesn't handle it great, but I get why he has such a strong reaction to it. That's actually a really good point because... He, yeah, he knows what she needs, right? Because he has experienced it. And so when she says, you wouldn't understand, he's like, are you kidding <laughs> Yeah, me? yeah. And she has some really tone deaf moments in this mm-hmm. where it's like, you wouldn't understand. And then to Sokka, like, I guess you didn't love her as much as I did. And it's like, whoa, you can just see how much pain she's in yeah. and how much she just needs, she needs this as like an action, not just a, like an emotional relief or something. Mm-hmm. I think we all mentioned, I know this is a hard cut, but I know we all mentioned the tense scene. Oh, yeah. I just wrote ha 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 because it is hands down probably the funniest moment in this whole freaking show. In this show. Yo, no, for real. I think that that is honestly, and it, okay, so this episode is another relatively serious episode, right? right? So they need a moment that cuts the tension in a grand way. That they haven't done before, right? Yeah. And this is definitely something that they haven't done before. Oh, yeah. It's if you bold. think back to the first part of the episode, right? There's a reason why Sokka grabs Suki after dad has left so that she can join the party, okay? And it manifests itself in this tent scene, right? 
they're you know they're trying to share some time together. Yep. Okay. And my favorite part of that whole moment, aside from Sokka just going, <laughs> "Well, hello," um, is when Sokka realizes that Zuko chews up the rose and like spits part of it out. And Zuko, instead of being able to, you know, socially take a hint and be socially aware that, oh, I probably shouldn't be here. There's candlelight. <laughs> and he was, you know, had a rose and his hair is slicked back and he's kind of in his underwear. <laughs> take the Zuko hint. just goes and sits down. He just goes <laughs> and sits down like, no, I need you. I need this time. That is my... Just he just bumped into Suki. Oh, were you that trying is, to talk to Sokka? Yeah. That no. is my favorite part. Honestly, favorite part of the whole thing is, is uh, Zuko just deciding, I can just sit down. This is totally appropriate. Oh, man. <laughs> just so oblivious. I love how that carries over that little, that little like subtle, not subtle. I mean, it's so obvious that he's just so tone deaf, but that carries over into the next episode as well. We get a little moment of that. So it's not just a one-off. He's just kind of socially inept in a little way. Right. Yeah. Well, and if you think about it, I, I don't blame him thinking about his upbringing. You know, he didn't have the greatest socialization and the socialization he did have was Azula, May, and Ty Lee. Yeah, yeah, and true. Azula, and even in that flashback, they show Azula kind of putting Zuko in or putting May in danger so that Zuko goes and rescues her, and then they laugh at him for it. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. you know, I don't yeah. blame him at all. It is honestly though one of the most funny moments I think in the whole <sighs> show. There's even a great. There's like a third joke where he leaves, but Sokka checks too soon after he leaves. <laughs> so gay. <laughs> Oh, you're still here. <laughs> Incredible. So funny. Oops. Wrong tent. Sorry. Do you need to talk to Sokka too? Nope. Not me. Well, hello. The <laughs> uh, Zuko. Yes. Why would I be expecting anyone different? <clears throat> so what's on your mind? Your sister. Am I reading too much into this? Or do, do you think it speaks a little to Zuko's privilege? Like he is the prince and he gets what he wants and mm -hmm. like talks to who he wants to talk to and everybody else can kind of wait. And so he doesn't recognize that other people have needs. Other people have their own. <laughs> it's like people are just waiting around to talk to him. Oh, for sure. <laughs> There's got to be some of that in there, too. I, I would say it's a little bit of that, a little bit of just not being socially yeah. aware and not having that, you know upbringing that socialization that is key to be able yeah. to read cues there's also the chance that he just he just doesn't give a momo like right <laughs> it's, like, it's like there's something more important than like yeah, yeah. than like some teens hooking right up. yeah <laughs> you just mentioned this a little bit earlier but going from this sort of light they had they had to have something like this like the funniest moment in the show because i think i i'm putting my vote in as this is the darkest episode in the series potentially yeah I agree. Definitely. Even more so than, than the blood pending because it's utilized here yes. in a really uncomfortable way. Yeah. At least in, in Avatar The Last Airbender, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it, they, they, they've discovered uh, the, the corners of the envelope that they can press, and they press it as far as they can go right now. Mm-hmm. Korra, I think, gets a little bit more dark, yes. but we'll obviously talk oh, about yeah. that later. Evan, do you want to talk about that? Or, or you kind of alluded to the the blood bending and where she's willing to go, but do you want to talk about that more? Yeah, I just think when you compare how she feels about having had to do it at the end of that first episode with Hama compared to she doesn't give it a second thought here. Oh, like yes. if she sees that as like evil and unhinged and the most repulsive thing she could do, then the fact that she does it without question in that episode, mm -hmm. she's in a bad place. Totally. Oh, well, and I think they play narratively with us a little bit. Like they don't show a full moon. So we kind of forget that it's even a possibility for Katara, much like, some of the other bending forms like Zuko's breath of fire um, or, or the seismic sense that we just kind of forget about a little bit. And then she just does it. And that is a jarring moment because mm -hmm. like they go and they take over the ship and they do so very successfully and expertly. Like, I don't think honestly, Zuko didn't even need to be there. Um, I'm glad he was because 
you know, that that guy probably wouldn't have been spared yeah. if Suko wasn't there. But Katara does everything. Like she she casts these giant waves and and takes takes out the entirety of the crew and then bursts down the door. Um, which I think I thought was a very funny um on the nose moment, and I'll talk about that in just a second. But yeah, her her willingness to resort to bloodbending immediately speaks a lot to Max, like you alluded to before, the pain that she's feeling because she mm -hmm. is in a terrible place this entire episode. I like that they included Zuko's reaction to the bloodbending. Yeah. Yeah. Which was, you know, he was horrified and then he like yeah. got composure. But I, I mean, I like, I, I just love to think what was going through his head at that point. Like, <laughs> oh my God. I'm glad I'm on a team avatar, I guess, but yeah. And he doesn't know that she's limited to a full moon with that necessarily. Right. <laughs> True. He's going to be a lot more careful around. Oh man. In that moment also, he's probably like, oh, Aang was right. <laughs> yeah. Aang, Aang was probably right with this whole forgiveness oh, yeah. thing. I did, I did not realize I should not have been feeding this. <laughs> Since we're in need of a tension-cutting moment because we're getting into this, the meat of the episode, I'm going to go back to that Katara shooting down the door episode because Katara, Zuko asks Katara, are you ready for this? And Katara takes off her mask because they're masked in mm -hmm. proper COVID protocols. <laughs> and she, she says yes and shoots down the door. And I'm envisioning like myself as a mask-abiding citizen you know, the day that I feel comfortable going to a bar for the first time with no mask on, I'm going to treat it just like Katara treated, busting down this door. Picking down that. I'm going to ask myself, are you ready for this? Rip off my mask and say, I'm ready and go order myself a beer, okay? Uh, amazing. Okay? Amazing. It's great that you noticed that detail, though, because that moment tells to me, I want him to see my face and know who I am. Absolutely. I want him to know exactly what's catching up to him right now. And Absolutely. they say that too, right? Yeah. You recognize her. Your life depends on it. It's like, yep. oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, and that, that moment even comes back later when they do confront Yan-Ra in his village or in his home. She walks up to him. The first thing she says to him is, do you know who I am? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? And we'll, we'll talk about Yan-Ra obviously next because based on Maxwell's comments on my notes at least <laughs> he and i interpreted that scene a little bit differently so i'm excited to dive into that too but yeah her her willingness to bloodbend and, and kind of the the grit of this scene on the ship um is scary like i was scared a little bit mm -hmm. and then when she realizes that it's the wrong guy like this the current leader is not the leader who killed her mother everything just gets turned off like she just goes back in inside you know i think she even cries a little bit at the at the end or or realizing what she's done she feels remorseful at least a tiny bit and then is like nope we're gonna go find this guy and and the the current leader tells him yep you must be looking for yan ra who retired a few years ago so then that also tells you something like okay so this guy this guy yan ra is old or older old enough to retire so he's not going to necessarily put up a fight. So then it, it kind of shifts the perspective a little bit here. And to me, that moment is the moment where I'm like, okay, so she has to forgive him because he's going to be this helpless old man who, you know, won't be able to hold his own. And if she kills him there, like, I don't know if, I don't know if I could redeem Katara if she killed Yan Ra in this mm -hmm. episode. Oh yeah, I, I doubt she would have been able to forgive herself. Yeah, I sort of wonder how close she was to killing the captain or the admiral or whoever was on the Southern Raider Raider ship, um, because, I mean, she is out for blood and is has complete control of him, and then snaps out of it when she realizes it's not him. But if it had been him, I'm so curious what would have happened. Yeah, and. And Evan, you bring this up later. I see in your notes with like, if uh, Ran, what was his, what's the Yan Ra? Yan Ra would have been a different character if he would have been a kind of different portrayal. What, what would she have done? Yeah. It, so let's 
let's get into it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think Brandon, you brought up a great point, which is this guy has like a, a sad life. He's a feeble old man sort of at this point. We would feel gross if Katara killed him. What if he wasn't? What if he was like riding high, great life, like retired general dude who's living the high life? I I would kind of want Katara to do it, I think. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's an intentional choice yeah. in the story. Like we talk about the moments in the show that allow us to sympathize with the characters that we don't want to sympathize with. I was, you know, I kind of felt bad for Yan Ra a little bit, a little bit, even though Max is shaking his head at me <laughs> right now because he caught a detail that I didn't catch. But, you know, he is clearly the, the caretaker of his elderly mother, um, um, you know, trying to provide in that way. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's hard. This scene is hard for all of the reasons, like why it should be. Like, we don't know if Yan-Ra is a good guy. We don't know if he truly feels remorse for all of the things he did when he was a Southern Raider. You know, we do know that he's just trying to live his life now and he's not, you know, about that military life anymore. Um, but it's it's hard. It's really hard. I don't think he feels remorse. No. I really don't. I did not get that at all. He's like whimpering, but he's, he's just putting on a performance because there's this moment where... He's begging for his life after Qatar does this amazing like portrayal of of waterbending and stops so all good. the rain around her. That is I, a really cool moment. I think it's Love my, that my favorite waterbending moment of the show. Yeah. Because it's, it's so also a powerful. surprise. You think, what more can she do? And then she stops the rain. Yes. And, like, and it's not an attack. It's them. just a flex. It's just yes. this. Yes. Let me know tell you how strong I am. You get this, like, it is the perfect climax because it starts raining and you're like oh my god like something is coming the universe it, is willing katara to have water all around her so right. she can fuck this guy up yeah. yes exactly <laughs> and we're waiting for it and then she does it and it's like this dome of water that turns into these ice like spears oh my gosh um but yeah he has this little tiny smirk after she says no i'm not gonna do it you're not worth it he he sort of he's like smirking and then he notices that Zuko's looking and he quickly like you know unsmirks right <laughs> but but it's so gross and i can't see him as anything but just this disgusting like war criminal right and and i and i miss the smirk so if i go back and watch this i will look so closely for the smirk and if i find the smirk it will obviously change the entirety of my position yeah, it's again. Yeah, it's just hard. I mean, then the fact that he he's gonna give up his mother so quickly, right. I think, also does not speak sure. to his character very yeah, well. He's like, a slime he's ball. A, yeah, and I think that's why I like that. I think Katara even says she doesn't forgive him by no. the end of it. She just realizes he's not worth the time and effort and emotion. He's like yes. the lowest person possible. She doesn't need to like concern herself with that anymore yes yeah you yeah. have brain you have to clip in the the monologue i always wondered what kind of person could do such a thing but now that i see you i think i understand there's just nothing inside you nothing at all you're pathetic and sad and empty please spare me <laughs> but as much as i hate you i just can't do it and it's so true because yep. he, I mean, you know, he has probably no regard for his mom who, you know, okay, is portrayed as pretty horrible. <laughs> right. But like, yeah, what kind of person would murder somebody's mother? I don't know. Yeah. So I was on Reddit. I think it just was posted yesterday, the day before, but it's somebody made a fan art like missing scene from this episode. Ooh. It was it was Aang and Katara sitting on the dock and just Aang just kind of comforting her after all this. And sure. it was like, yep, that scene would have helped so much because again, sure. he comes and he goes, I'm proud of you. I'm glad you chose forgiveness. And again, it's it's coming from this place of not ah, not really support, but kind of superiority almost. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Ah, 
And then, and then I don't know, Brandon, if you want to take it away. Well, I mean, I can always talk about Zutara. <laughs> I, I, uh, I mean, Katara's side eye at Zuko is something fierce. Mm-hmm. If I ever got that type of a side eye from anybody in my life, I would just be, I'd be a spring chicken. I'd know exactly <laughs> what it meant. And I would set up that tent with those candles faster than anybody could ever say, well, hello or something, whatever Sokka says. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I mean, so this, this episode kind of puts the, the finishing touches on a couple of different stories, right? You know, we figure out who killed Katara and Sokka's mother. Um, we, we see Katara confront that person, not forgive, but confront, right. Mm -hmm. And understand what, again, what type of person does this in this moment. She also forgives Zuko, which I think is the biggest takeaway from this field trip isn't necessarily that Katara was able to face this person because I think, I think she probably could have done without that um, um, in a way because then she wouldn't still, because she's still carrying this weight with her, right? By knowing that this person is there, knowing that she confronted them and didn't end their life, you know, it, it's that the guy is still there. Like he, I don't know, that's not going to go away. But with Zuko, She's now actively able to move on and accept him as this compassionate, caring person that she knew that he was in season two, but who betrayed her. So, like, it's appropriate that Zuko kind of had to go this extra mile with Katara mm-hmm. in order for mm-hmm. this to happen, I think. And that's, in my view, that's the bigger takeaway. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And I think it's brought up earlier where it's, Zuko's like, I think she's confused her anger for uh, the Fire Nation was like her anger for me. Right. Yep. And, and that's like exactly to your point. She, her brain is now able to differentiate, you know, Zuko and the Fire Nation. Yep. Yeah. And as much as it'd be nice if Aang was being more supportive, it really helps her forgive Zuko that he is sort of the one person of the group who's like, hey, whatever you need, I'm here for you. Yes. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Which, Man. unfortunately, I admit is a dang good point towards Zutara. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, to your credit, like they have like that scene made me feel way more towards them than any of the scenes between Aang and Katara, yeah. except for maybe the secret tunnel. Right. Yeah. And there's also a scene in Ember Island Players where it's Aang and Katara out on the balcony and Katara's like, I'm so confused and blah, blah, blah. And what does Aang do? He just goes and kisses her. Oh, like, no. what no. in the world, Aang? You're yeah. as bad at reading these cues as Zuko is. Yeah. But Zuko doesn't try to kiss someone who doesn't want to be kissed by you. <laughs> Come on. I will say, though, before we move on to the Ember Island players, um, what a fantastic ending of an episode. Yes. When Zuko and Aang share their moment, right? And the question is posed, well, violence is never the answer. I think Aang says that. And Zuko then goes, well, what are you going to do when you face my dad? And you think, oh, yeah, I forgot that he kind of has to kill this guy in order for this stuff to go away. And then you're quickly like, oh, yeah, Sozin's Comet is coming. And that's only like two episodes away. Well, one episode away. And then we're into the four episodes of Sozin's Comet. Just what a way to leave us on this, this cliffhanger ending. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I like that Aang is kind of high and mighty for a bit of this episode. Because then it's like, down. oh yeah, wise man. Let's let's hear it then. What's your plan? <laughs> yeah, and he's like, um, uh, blue bending? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'll just glue his hands oh. together. Ugh. It kind of begs the question, what was his plan during the solar eclipse? Like, what was he planning on doing then if he wasn't really ready to confront that he'd have to use violence? A good question. And thank God the Fire Lord wasn't there because he probably couldn't have pulled the trigger and he would have gotten the trigger pulled on him. Yep. Especially on someone so helpless. Like, if yeah. the Fire Lord would have been there with no bending, there's no way that Aang attacks somebody to kill who has no defense like no way yep it was destiny that it didn't work out indeed speaking of destiny 
we get an episode where all the stars align. <laughs> I think honestly, this is probably the funniest episode. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, we've talked about balance and humor, and they they obviously needed just like a strong, strong like light vibe before jumping off into the series finale. Um, but again, what they're able to do with the Ember Island players while being so humorous, but still hitting on some really difficult topics was so good yeah totally. make, this show is so good amazing ah. totally and it and it revisits moments that you forget about because they're kind of obscure and it forces you to think about them like oh did that happen in that way like ex- example number one is jet's death right where <laughs> jet dies in the show by or in the in the ember island play by having this rock dropped from above and it's a cool like effect staging effect and then Zuko asks the question did Jet just die and Sokka goes well it's really unclear just because that's how it was in the actual show right we know that he died and we've talked about this at length but it's a very meta moment like this this entire episode is that meta commentary on moments in the show that we need to remember or be brought up to speed on again before we dive into the finale it's how you do eclipse episode yes exactly i was just going to say that it's it's how you do eclipse episode without like using clips and doing Mm -hmm. clips you know what i'm saying right Uh, i think it's masterfully done in that way like what better way to to get the audience caught up again than have your characters go see a play about themselves and have it be very caricatured like you know, because it, it does that. It catches people up. If like a lot of us were watching this on cable very sporadically when yep. it first came out, maybe we did miss things. And then it also because it's so meta, like you said, Brandon, it rewards people who have stuck through it from the very beginning. It's like, <laughs> yeah, hey, right. wink, wink. You remember this? We're going to make a joke about it. It's a perfect twofold <laughs> response. Yeah, and that makes me think of the Great Divide moment yes. in the play. Oh, <laughs> yeah, let's just fly over it. Exactly, where they're flying so on this good. fake oppa. Oh, look, it's the Great Divide. It's the greatest canyon in the Earth Kingdom. <laughs> Sokka's character, and eh, let's keep flying. So good. Absolutely oh. hilarious. Look, it's the Great Divide, the biggest canyon in the Earth Kingdom. Eh, let's keep flying. Okay, so since we're already going so far over, like this is going to be a long episode already, I think I think we should do our rapid fire should be just our favorite jokes in it because it's just jam-packed. Like oh, yeah. every line in it is so good and I want to I want to <laughs> just do like a back and forth of us doing like this line, this line, yes. this line. Yeah. But there are also some like really good things that happen in this episode, like you yep. said the kind of development between Aang and Katara, like that being sort of contentious right now. Yep. Um, or like Zuko sort of <laughs> blocking yeah, God. a little bit. Momo blocking. <laughs> um, and then all of these characters sort of like forced to look at their their mistakes, their development, like where they fall short, or maybe what they're not even willing to look at. Yeah. Um, I think is a really powerful. Totally. Way to do a show in character development. Mm-hmm. Totally. Evan, why don't you kick us off with one of those favorite moments of yours? Okay, I'm going to introduce something I never noticed before. I always knew that the Cabbage Merchant was one of the informants for the play. Yep. I didn't notice until this time the singing, wandering nomads are also... They sold out and gave the Fire Nation information. <laughs> Ironically, there was no secret tunnel like scene in the yep, play. You're right. Yep. <laughs> How, yeah, how did they know? They just made up some stuff yep. like, ah, the guy was kind of annoying and the girl was <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, brother. Uh, she was going on about like hope or something. I don't really remember. I think that kid was the avatar. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't uh, look now. I think that kid's the avatar. <laughs> Max, what about for you? I I love Katara's caricature in this. Oh, Between so the, beautiful. The hope monologues and the hi-ya, waterbending. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Everything that she does is so good. 
How about you, Brandon? I I'm also gonna comment on Katara once, and then I'm gonna we're gonna send it back. We'll boomerang it. Get it? Boomerang. Boomerang. <laughs> so I'll do two. Then we'll go Max and Evan again. Um, I also like how Katara mentions something called tear bending, <laughs> which I I feel makes bodily fluid bending canon yes. to yes. the show. <laughs> if you can bend your tears, you can bend your pee, everybody. Um, the, the second thing that I really, really loved about, about this caricatured bit was actually Toph. <laughs> when yes. Toph goes, I see by releasing a sonic wave from my mouth. Oh, so good. I can see you doing that. I see everything that you see, except I don't see like you do. I release a sonic wave from my mouth. <laughs> and then and then Top's character goes, I got a really good look at you right there. <laughs> yep. You know, just so so funny. And I don't know. We've we've talked again, we've talked at length about how much of a badass we think Toph's character is. Mm -hmm. And the way that they introduce Toph in the play is like, my name's Toph. Because it rhymes with tough. It's like, <laughs> of course. Like, why, why didn't we think of that when we first meet her in book two? But anyway, those were just a couple of my favorite moments. Back to you, Max. I I mean, yeah, that I think is probably my favorite line in the show. And yeah. I've said that yep. a few times now. But <laughs> but like... Few favorite lines, like few favorite episodes, <laughs> few favorite fights, few favorite but, seasons. You know, but the I, screech that man makes will never fail to make me so laugh out good. loud. It's surprisingly it's high. So <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, uh, it's beautiful. It's, it's uh, like you can't replicate it. It's it's no. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so perfect. Well, I, and I wonder if they like, and then I'll obviously Max let you finish finish your thought. I wonder if they used a sound effect for that or if they like had the voice actor actually attempt a scream like that. I I would bet because it's John DiMaggio who is like top tier oh, yes. voice actor. Jake the dog, yes. Bender from Futurama, yep. like huge name in the business. I would not be surprised if he made that choice and was able to sure. make that horrible sure. scream. Sure. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that's who it was. Yeah. That's amazing. And that makes it that makes that makes it more brilliant. So good. The other thing I was gonna say is it's really fun watching Zuko enjoy it thoroughly until he shows up. Yeah, totally. Like he's as an audience member, he's really enjoying it, and then he shows up on that Fire Nation ship, and he gets sour so quick. <laughs> totally. How can you say that? How can you say that? <laughs> like the yes. mirror image, like quotes. Oh, and I like so that they good. do that back to back because mm -hmm. Katara obviously comments. I feel like that actor's pretty spot on Zuko's reaction. And then uncle in the play makes a comment and Zuko in the play make this says the same, li like that's the whole bit says the same mm -hmm, line. Mm -hmm. And then it just pans back to Zuko. Who's like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone mm. else feels like embarrassed and tries to reject a lot of what they see on stage. I feel like Zuko, unfortunately, like takes a lot of yeah. it in. He's like, yeah, I am like that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially the stuff with uncle, which is pretty sad. Yeah. Which I think Brandon talked about this too, but leads to a fantastic Toph uh, Zuko moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think, and I, I see this really as their little, Field trip, even though yeah. they don't get a full field trip. Yep. This this hallway dialogue between them is exactly what Zuko needs to hear, where Toph is saying, Hey, I met your uncle and he thinks the world of you. Yeah. Really, you this is all he ever wanted from you, is exactly what you're doing now. And oh, just gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think they they did the opposite almost, right? Where in the Southern Raiders episode, um, they took a very serious episode and cut it with the very comedic moment of Sokka and attempting to get Suki in the tent. In this episode, they took a very, very funny episode and re-centered us, re-grounded us with this very serious moment between Toph and Zuko. And Max, you're exactly right. I'm glad it was a moment shared between those two characters because Toph never gets her field trip mm -hmm. with Zuko. Um, but... The fact that they both know Uncle Iroh and that Toph kind of had that flash in the pan meeting Uncle Iroh moment, of course that's going to be the the thread that that connects those two characters. I think that was a brilliant choice. Absolutely. It's back to Evan. All right. So I've got a couple 
as a as a theater person, there are two things I really love in this. One, of course, the Aang being played by a woman is hilarious, but <laughs> it's great because that's very much in like the Peter Pan tradition. Like Peter totally. Pan is always played by a woman. And I was thinking the same exact thing. Especially with being on the ropes and flying around a lot. Yep. Total Peter Pan, which I love. The other thing I think is great is the second act slump where everyone is starting to get kind of bored and tired in the middle of the play. Yep. Like, no yep. matter how good oh, okay. something is, there's always that point where you're just like, ooh, this is pretty long, isn't it? <laughs> and I forgot that this is like a three-act play. Yeah. Like, it's not just a, a two-act play. Because there's a first intermission and then the second intermission after the Crossroads of Destiny interpretation. And then it takes us to the present and then the reimagined future, mm -hmm. right? Where Ozai and Azula win. It's weird. It's like it's like three different acts. Like, I don't know what that would line up with. But yeah, like, like, yeah, like three different, you know, um, songs, three right, different, yeah. <laughs> three different podcast hosts, yeah. three different seasons of a show. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Anyway, hmm. who could ever guess? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, it is it is cool that they line it up perfectly. Yeah. Like intermission so after season one finale, intermission after season two finale. And then, yeah. So so when I was reading your notes, Evan, and you said the sec, the like second half slump, um, I was thinking that they were making fun of themselves that the second season was boring. And I was like, oh, that is not at all what I felt like I love the drill episode. Yeah. I love, but, but I totally get it now that it's like very parallel to <laughs> what you're going through as an audience member in a yep. show. That's yep. so on point. So that. on yep. point. <laughs> Max, do you have some, some more jokes you want to hit us with? I mean, there are just so many. I, I think Brandon mentions this as well in his notes, but when Azula escapes and they're like, she escaped, but how? And you can see her go through the door, yep. which we never realized was there until somebody, I think Evan pointed it out. It's so, it's so perfect. It's like yeah, they gave us the reason why she escaped was because there right. was a door. Yeah, I think Evan may have even like shared his screen on our Google chat and pulled up the frame from Reddit or even from yeah. the, the video itself. And clearly there is a drawn animated open doorway Mm -hmm. And in the play, like it's embedded into the wall, so it's a little bit more confusing. But I, again, one another one of those meta moments, Max, where as an audience member, I didn't know how Azula escaped. And our characters in the play were like, how did she get away? What's <laughs> going on? It's so good. So, That's kind of a dig at us, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Absolutely. Well, it's almost a dig at, at our focus, like yeah. the things that we choose to focus on. That's a very intense moment. Mm -hmm. I believe it was in book two um, where, you know, it's the first big confrontation with Azula versus everybody, including Zuko and Iroh, you know, so we're tunnel visioned on that interaction rather than how she inevitably escapes, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Brandon, what do you got? I think, I mean, we've, we've covered quite a few. I just, <laughs> again, love this episode so much because it is so funny the whole time. Um, uh, my last two quick things and then I'll send it back in the boomerang format again, but I love the way that they animate and portray May and Ty Lee's characters. Um, I think, uh, Ty Lee doing like the kissy finger and then like <laughs> yeah. doing the contact points is just funny and it's kind of, uh, perfect for her character. And then May has swords in her hair yeah. to be like, uh, bun holders in her buns. And then... You know, she can just use those and throw those out. I thought that that was super funny. Mm -hmm. And then kind of the the last joke that I really thought was very, very funny was when they replay the catacomb scene between Zuko and Katara. And um, character Zuko says to character Katara, I thought you were the Avatar's girl. And it pans to Aang in real life, <laughs> yes. and he's nodding up and down. He's like, yeah, I am the Avatar's. So I am, or I am, good. she is the Avatar's girl, whatever it is. Yeah. And then it goes back, <laughs> and she's like, oh, I only think of him as a friend, and all of this other, again, just really funny, funny, like, sexual tension-y stuff. I just got a kick out of that so yeah, much. That pouty little nod is priceless. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. good. <laughs> I I thought of you while watching this, Evan, because 
when Yue turns into a spirit, <laughs> you know, she's hoisted yeah. up. And so it's like very like, I have important moon duties to attend to. And it was like, yep, that's Evan's critique yep. on the whole. I thought that anyway. was the most accurate interpretation. Like, that's how I feel <laughs> when she's in the real show. <laughs> but you missed the best part. And I did eat pickled fish <laughs> right. for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and Sokka getting so choked up about it. Like, I didn't realize you dated the moon spirit. No. What? I'm trying to watch. <laughs> so funny. And it sounds like it's the same voice actress. Like, I think she may have come back to do that. Oh, interesting. Or, or at least the person who plays the caricatured character does a, good does job. a spot on impression. Nice. Because I, I, it sounds like the same person. It does. Evan, any others to, to bring us home here? Okay, so this is my last big one. There's a great line when Sokka goes backstage with some of his jokes. The actor playing Sokka goes, oh, no, another fan with ideas. And I think that should be the new name of our podcast. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, no. Another fan with ideas. <laughs> I mean, previously on, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely has to be at least the title of this episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, I yeah, we kind of glossed over Sokka, and he has a lot of great moments in this one, too. Mm -hmm. And some that come into the finale, we get a, we get a good made-up... Uh, expression when when we see Sokka about to do his attack so uh, I can't wait the last thing I, I wanted to talk about that wasn't like a, a comedic bit or anything but the end of this is very dark like the end so they do a fantastic job lighting us up with like these great jokes lifting the the morale and then they give us this very real possibility of what is going to happen. Yeah. Totally. It's life and death. It's not totally. just happily ever after. It's like, nope. And, and the crowd is cheering on your death. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I would echo all of that. I feel like this moment is uh, the moment where our gang realizes that they cannot fail. Like, they mm -hmm. have to succeed. Um. And I feel like they knew that before in all of their preparation. Aang knows that he has to take on the Fire Lord and he can't lose. Otherwise, the world will end. But right now is the moment where, as kids especially, like this is the confirmation that, no, you really can't. And they believe it now. Like It goes from being this idea that's not quite there for them to grab yet to being, oh, oh, crap. Like we have to, we have to do this right now. Yep, exactly. And like, how does that, how does that happen in a show? Like, have you, what other show have you watched where it's like they do this perfect caricature of their own show where the, the writers and directors are teasing themselves and then it lands with this, like, and here's the finale. Like your characters might die. I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's perfection. It really is. Yeah. Ah, I think we like this show. <laughs> We should do a podcast about it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Another fan with ideas. <laughs> and that's going to do it for us. Oh, Brandon, you had a really... No, we don't have to actually do it. Your Ember Island idea. Do we end with a, a caricature of one of us I doing feel like we could. I feel like we could do the... Uh, okay, yeah, we could, we could have one of you do your best Brandon Berger and take on the first paragraph that I read at the start of every episode. <laughs> if you wanted, we could see how, how well the two of you do. Max, you got to do it. You were recording some last night. <laughs> <laughs> and it was funny because I was playing those for my wife. She's like, what in the hell are they sending you? And I said, well, I, I had this, I had this idea that I would, you know, challenge us to, to do a caricature of the intro of the podcast because we're on the caricature episode of the show. And Max starts sending me all of these, hello, <laughs> all of these random bits. And my favorite one, honestly, was the one of Olivia yeah, that you sent that because great. there was such a long pause. And then she's just like, hello. <laughs> can you see me like holding my phone? I totally, like, do it, do totally it. can. She's like, Ugh. I mean, I feel like we have to do this now before before I read the outro, which, you know, you can caricaturize all you want. 
to kind of close out our pre-Sozin's comment episode, um, one of you has to do has to do the caricature of me reading the opening. Who's going to take a stab at it? This will be immortalized on the internet. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to the Previously On podcast. We're continuing our third season by taking an in-depth look at Avatar The Last Airbender, and more specifically, the third and final book of that series, Fire. My name's Brandon Berger. And I'm Dr. Maxwell Anderson. <laughs> you should have done it. And I'm Maxwell. <laughs> Here, I'll, I'll do a Max one. Nice. There you go. <laughs> I don't want it. I, I'm, not, I'm not prepared to look in this mirror. <laughs> and I'm Max. Oh, hold on. Let me try again. <laughs> and I'm. <laughs> and I'm Maxwell Handebet. <laughs> Anderson. <laughs> ah, how? I was waiting for you to, to talk about or do the synopsis. Here's a short synopsis of chapter 17. <laughs> God, God. The, the, the group sees the play. The, the gang sees a, a play about them, each other. And all. <laughs> take it again. Take it again. Edit, edit this out in post. Roast the gang sees a play about themselves. <laughs> no, you never read them that slow. I was just teasing. Uh, uh. And that's going to do it for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else we want to want to say or do? I I just I know it's sappy, but I just want to appreciate you too. This we're going into the finale. This has been such a great trip. I Ugh, it's been it's been a blast. I can't believe we've made it. It's really amazing. I feel like it was about a year ago when we started having the conversations about about the podcast and then we spent some time last summer planning it. And you know, we started like in the fall of of 2020 and we're we're 3 seasons in already, which is unbelievable. Like thank you thanks to both of you for 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 doing this every chance we get it's it's a ton of fun i always leave these recording sessions just with a ton of energy and really excited and and i think it's been one of the bright spots of of the pandemic when we haven't been able to go places and and do things and and see people and and hang out i think it, it will be a, a nice thing you know we'll obviously continue with cora and when I move out west in in August, right, we'll finally mm -hmm. land in the same time zone, Woo! so we won't have to do as much. We won't have to do as much extra planning. But um, thanks to the two of you so much as well um, for for doing this. It's it's just a ton of fun. I have a ton of fun every time. Well, thank you, man. This wouldn't have happened without you. Nope. You did all of this, and you also do like all the work parts. <laughs> yep. Back when we were kids, Evan and I had a lot of ambitious projects that a lot of ambitious projects, none of which came to fruition nope. because we never had a Brandon Burger. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shucks. You guys know how to butter me up. It's making me tear bend. <laughs> okay, before Max bends any more bodily fluids, we're going to we're going to wrap this thing up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And that's going to do it for this episode. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion so far, as we certainly have. We'll be back next week as we continue our conversations about the third season of Avatar The Last Airbender. Sosin's Comet starts next week for the podcast. We'll be tackling that episode in a very similar way to our podcast's episodes about the solar eclipse. We'll record a longer episode, but release it over the time period of two weeks. We can't wait to wrap up this incredible series with you all. We're now live on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for at previous.pod on Facebook and at previous underscore pod on Twitter. Give us a like or a follow and interact with us. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the series as we keep the dialogue going. A big thanks to my co-hosts, Evan and Max, for being a part of the podcast. We'll see you soon. Yip, yip.